there and welcome to another episode of African Business Stories, your insight into female innovators and entrepreneurs building and running businesses in Africa. I'm Akego Koye and on the show today, I'll be chatting with Ehime Ewe Akindele, founder and CEO of Sweet Kiwi, a clean label frozen yogurt company operating on multiple continents. We talk about how she left her job at Citibank in the US and started the first frozen yogurt company in Nigeria. As a result of health challenges, she started to split her time between Nigeria and the US. We talk about the journey to launching Sweet Kiwi in the US and getting her products into Whole Foods. I am incredibly inspired by Hima's story and hope you are too. Let's get into it. Hi, Hime. Welcome to African Business Stories. Hello, Akego. It's really nice to be here. Excited that we finally got to do this. I know that I know. Kind of time was delayed, but I'm excited that we're finally doing this today. Yes, awesome. You know, I know you were born and raised in Lagos, and I was wondering um, what your fondest childhood memory was or is ah <laughs> uh, what's my fondest child that's very hard I had a, a very nice childhood but it was very insulated I would say uh, my dad worked for Guinness so I would say my fondest childhood memory was always going to the Guinness factory in Ogwa and just seeing like how production was done and understanding what goes into making a beer. My dad was production manager for a very long time and he was in charge of making all the different beers. Um, I remember when Satsum Brown was launching. It was very exciting. Mm -hmm. They brought the first sample to our house and I remember my dad putting it in the corner and I think I pulled it down and the bottle broke it, you know, one of those. Uh Yeah, Yeah, but those were like very fun memories because Guinness was a really good company to work for um when you go pick up your dad like when I would go pick up my dad they had a restaurant that was free so we would go and like pretend like we were going to pick up our dad and then detour into the restaurant (laughs) and get like free chicken and all those things and it was it was just really fun I mean Guinness makes a lot of products that people don't really know about they had like the sparkling water called spa that was only for um employees families um that's so much I mean it was just fun to just see how things work that's a fun story. So I know that you did a degree in business information technology and international development. That's quite an interesting combination. And, and I wondered if there was a backstory to that. So it was international relations, actually, not development. Oh. Um, yeah, there was. Um, so I moved to the UK um, just at the tail end of my um, secondary school. And I started a level school in the UK. And I was really lost. Like, I felt like everyone kind of knew what they wanted to do. Like, my brother was an accountant. He knew what he wanted to do. My sister was a lawyer. And I was just a bit lost. And I think that's because maybe my parents pushed me into the sciences. And I was lost because I felt like I wasn't good at sciences. Like, all my my results from school, I would have, like, I would pass so well, do so well, like, have A's in every subject. And then you get to chemistry and physics. And it's like a, just like a C. And just like kind of, okay, she, she kind of skilled through the class. So I was very sure that the sciences wasn't for me, but I didn't know what else I could do. So mm. one day, um, one of my friends at school, her dad was visiting from Switzerland. He used to work for the UN. And so he decided to take us to lunch. Um, she's Gambian. And we went to lunch and I remember him talking about what he did and how he was making a difference and how he had been posted to all these different 
um, places all over the world. And that really resonated with me. Like I felt like, you know, this is something I wanted to do. I always wanted to make a difference with people. I was very big on volunteering already. So that kind mm. of just listening to him, I, I can never forget it because I felt like, oh, yeah, this is my calling. This is what I want to be. So when I told my parents I wanted to apply to school and do international relations, of course, you can imagine the outrage. <laughs> right. So it's like, what? You know, going all the, all the way to London to study, you know, just the, yeah. So that was a bit of, they wanted me to do a science and I felt like this was a way to compromise. And right. London Metropolitan University at the time was the only school that offered such a compromise and that's why I chose that because I felt like I still had a chance to give them what they want while mm. I still kind of got what I wanted interesting and and then when you finished you you moved to the U.S. to work for Citibank how 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 did you make that that move and why so it, it's really interesting because you know as the brain of a I wouldn't say a child, but just being young and trying to connect the dots. So all through my university, I think from my second year, I started working at Amnesty International. So I would volunteer um, for Amnesty International because that was the path I wanted to go down. And I always wanted to work for the UN. So I would do all the model UN things at school. I was really, really heavily involved in the international relations department at mm. school. And so moving to the U.S. for me, I thought it was a great way. Um, I, I just thought it was a great thing because I felt like, you know, I worked for City for a while and then I'll find my way <laughs> back to the U.N. It was just a stepping stone. And then I'll find my way back to the U.N. in New York. That was a thought process, I think. Um, and, you know, but then real life right. starts and then you start making money and then you have bills and you have rents and car notes. And then it's just like, uh you know, things just don't go how you think they're going to go in your mind. And I think because I was in Dallas, it was also hard because there wasn't a United Nations presence. I think I actually applied for every single UN job that I ever posted. Whether I qualified or not, I was just applying. As long as they had a job post, I'm sure whoever the HR head was was probably like, this person just is ready to do anything as long as she works at the UN. Um but I think what I've learned now in life is that you can still do those things. Um, you don't necessarily have to work for the UN. You can still make that mm. difference without actually focusing on one. You know, there's so many ways to reach your destination. Mm. You don't have to focus on one body or one institution. So one of the things I did when I started realizing that that dream was slipping away, I started volunteering for right. other organizations. So I started volunteering for the International Rescue Committee in Dallas and, you know, just kind of helping refugees assimilate to U.S. life and just doing more. So I was at City and I was just like pushing all these like I realized that City had a volunteer program and a volunteer network and so many organizations that they partnered with. And so I just felt like, you know what, this is my where right. I shine. So it was a great way to start to do the things that mattered to me. And so we were doing things for junior achievements and and. Um, all kinds of walks. I was always organizing mm -hmm. something with, you know, we're welcoming the troops at the airport, just something. And then I felt like that actually gave me a balance mm. with doing the work I was doing and also doing what I always felt like was my calling to do. That's excellent. So how many years were you with City? I was a City group for, I would say, about two years. 
Okay, so I, I've listened to um, a lot of your interviews and read a lot of your articles about you. And um, in a lot of them, you talk about never imagining yourself to be an entrepreneur. So, so what was going on and how did you start to, to move towards um, running your own business? And, and on top of that, moving to a different country to do it? Um, honestly, like I said before, my whole dream was to work for the UN, world peace, <laughs> um, help people that needed help. I never, ever saw myself as an entrepreneur, which was really strange because now I think back and I'm like, my mom is an entrepreneur, though. My mom has her own school. She's a teacher who set up um, a, a school. And I guess I never connected the dots and you never think of these things. I just felt like I had my own path. Um, so when I came to Nigeria, my cousin was getting married and I come to Nigeria and I remember just meeting people who, meeting a lot of young people and they were really, you know, just aggressive and talking about, oh, I'm an entrepreneur, like it's Tuesday afternoon and they're able to do lunch, you know, because that, that doesn't happen. I mean, if I work at City, I can't do lunch with you until it's maybe my break or after work. You know, so it was just interesting that they they were in control of their own time. They were doing so many amazing things. I remember my friend had a a birthday party. Well, he was celebrating his birthday and we all went to the Bahamas and he had invited a few people from Nigeria. And I met this um, girl, Lakwe, and she owned this entire company in Nigeria and they were doing so many amazing things. And I was just looking at her like, what? Like young people, like it just never crossed my mind. I think that's the whole point of seeing representation, right? Right. You don't think something's possible until you actually see it. And then something unlocks in your brain and it's like, well, this thing's possible. I remember leaving, not feeling like I still wanted to be an entrepreneur, but just knowing that certain things were possible. So right. I feel like with there were like new lenses. So with that, I went back to my job with a different mindset. And so maybe unconsciously I was looking for opportunities, you know, hmm. so... When a chance came at the time, how I started Sweet Kiwi was that I had this health challenge and I had to change my diet and I started making this yoga. And one of the things about my, my, my job was that I had a very close team. We were all very close. We would have potlucks and bring our food and make dodo and, and jollof rice. And, you know, one of my favorite foods is okra soup, you know, the mixed okra that we have in Nigeria. So I would take that to work and people would love it. And so when I started making the yogurt as well, I would take it to work and, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, can I have some? And then me and my friend, were, we love frozen yogurt. And then I just thought, you know what, I can do this as a business. Hmm. You know, and in handling one of the cases that I had to handle, I came across some people who um, were in the restaurant business and they really kind of showed me the process. It really opened my eyes to how people can run a business. And initially I started thinking, OK, maybe I can open my own yoga place and I felt like I wanted to do it in in the US and so I went to <laughs> I never forget I went to go register my business downtown Dallas I registered Sweet Kiwi and on getting there as soon as I walked out of the registry I got a, a call and the guy was just like oh I'm calling to speak to Ehimel Sweet Kiwi and I was just like like I'm calling from Chase Bank and we're thinking you should you know open an account and I was thinking to myself oh my god who's watching me <laughs> And it turned out, no, apparently they they give your information to all these people who can support you 
um, with your business journey. And I thought that was really amazing that, you know, I'd barely even got into my car and someone was already talking to me about all the options they had available for being a small business. So I was starting to just go to different places, source for machinery, just in the process. And then my brother was getting married. And then I had to go back to Nigeria again. And when I was in Nigeria, this time I had, I was in Lagos. So the one I went for my cousin's wedding, I was more in Benin because her wedding was in Edo State. So this right. time I was actually more in Lagos. And I got to see that there was no other yoga shop. There was only one ice cream place at that time. Ice cream factory was the most popular spot. And then there wasn't anything else. And I wasn't an ice cream person. Everyone would say to me, oh, let's go and get ice cream. And I was just like, no, don't you have frozen yogurt? Because I don't really eat ice cream. Like It doesn't fit into what I could eat. I mean, and don't get me wrong. Ice cream factory is amazing. It's just I had like specific like dietary requirements that I was sticking to at the time. And so I just thought to myself, you know, why not do it here? I mean, my parents were in Nigeria. I had a a bigger family base in Nigeria and I kind of just coming for these events kind of missed that as well just that having family I hadn't had that in the longest time I, I, I had been away for so long and so I went back thinking about it I hadn't decided that I was coming to Nigeria was still pushing on with my plans but I felt like every day I'll be at work and then I would just be in my mind just bothered by the thought that I should go to Nigeria I should go and give this a try but I was scared so I think that's why I didn't immediately take the jump but then what year was that this was in 2011 and Mm -hmm. I just realized that but something in me just wouldn't let me be like there was this thing that was nagging and nagging and nagging like just go for it just try it and just see how how that goes so finally, one day, I think when I made the decision was I'd started working at a restaurant just to learn how to manage a restaurant. I started working. So I would close work at 4 p.m. and then drive one hour was the work because I'd be so sleepy because I start work at 7 a.m. I'd be so tired by 4 and I would drive all the way to um, Uptown Dallas and working a restaurant just to learn how operations were run if you're running your own store. So I'd be there from 5 p.m. My shift was from 5 p.m. to midnight. And then wow. I'd be there just kind of like working in different areas of the restaurant, working as a waitress, working as different angles of the business. But I realized that even though I was so tired and I was so exhausted, the best part of my day was that time you know, just meeting people, learning more. I was just so much more excited that when I came to my professional work, which was, I'm sure the people who work every day in the restaurant are probably thinking, I wish I had the job that you had. You know what I mean? But Hmm. I felt like I was more passionate about being in the restaurant and meeting people and just engaging people than when I was working. And that made a decision for me because I realized that I really liked doing that. I really liked the creations. I really liked meeting people. I I liked just learning about how things worked. I liked being uh, an entrepreneur and it was really fun for me. So one day I just, as soon as I was made, was conscious enough to understand what my emotions were trying to tell me or what my intuition was trying to tell me I, I made the decision in fact I, I told myself that I was going to work to, at City Continuity but I still remember the day I it clicked it all came together I put in my resignation the same day I used my vacation as my two weeks notice 
my man, my, my manager was so upset. We were so close. So he was just, he just didn't get it. Like, what are you doing? You know, he wouldn't even like come and say goodbye to me because we were that close. We we're a good team and we we're all really close and it was difficult for everybody. And I, at the time, it wasn't like I wasn't scared. I was so scared because I, I even didn't know what I was doing. I was just saying that, let me just try. And if it didn't work out, I mean, I had a strong enough team and a good enough team that I could always come back you know right. and so I put in my resignation and by the next week I was in Nigeria wow yeah. oh wow. <laughs> that's amazing so so there was no frozen yogurt market in Nigeria so you were basically first to market and I wonder if you can just talk to us about your startup experience you know starting up the business with a new product you know, in a new market. Um, what was that like for you? Oh my gosh, it was so, it was good and bad. I feel like there was the aspect where people didn't know it, so they didn't give it a chance. But there was also that aspect where it was new and people were excited about having something new on their menu. Um, I, I honestly believe that I did get a lot of support. I um, just coming to Nigeria, honestly, I didn't know anyone. When I tell people I didn't know anyone, they feel like, oh, no, but that's not true. You know so many people. I'm just like, no. When I came, when I actually came to Nigeria, I was home all the time. I would I would create this flyer on, like, Microsoft PowerPoint. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. I, I wish I could show you. The worst flyer. <laughs> and then I would, you know, be Black, Blackberry Messenger. I would send it to a few yeah. people that I'd met, you know, from just visiting and saying, well, hey, if you're, you know, anyone who's having a party, you know, we do catering. And trust me, we didn't get any customers. <laughs> and I was trying to get a shop. I would go visit, like, every time they put up a sign to let, it would be just ridiculous. Eight million, 10 million, three years, pay three years down. I mean, it was just, and I was just thinking, what are you doing? And then I feel like I also got caught up in that initial Nigeria phase where, you know, I came with my best friend when I was coming and obviously we're partying every day because she knew a few people in Nigeria. And she's like, oh, my friend says, oh, we're going to Cactus today. We're going here today. So you're, you're like, oh, Nigeria is so fun. But then you lose right. sight of why you're really here because, you know, that fun is just for a little while. And then as soon as my best friend went back, it was just me and I, I was just like, okay, so what now? Um, yeah, and then one day, I a friend of mine introduced me to someone at Get Arena and we were talking and she was just like, oh, well, hey, do you want to come do a sampling session here? And I was just like, yeah, okay, we could do that. And then it was LPM. LPM used to have these markets once a month where people would come and sell different things. And we came for the market and we were giving people samples and people really loved the product. There was a long line. People were, were upset. They were like, stop giving me out for free. We want to buy, you know. So it was just really crazy. And I was really overwhelmed by the response. And right then, then I think we booked about two jobs or um, weddings. And I was thinking, oh, wow. Well, while we're looking for a location, catering could be a real avenue for us to make money so we started doing catering but it was on a small scale I still didn't understand the market so that's the whole thing where you know you have to think you have to act global but think local like how do you get jobs right. in Nigeria how do you meet people and it was really difficult for me because I didn't know anyone um, so meeting people here and then then a friend of mine convinced me to come to a Wimbis conference at that time I think I had a very negative impression of women like just working with women I felt like women were very you know funny I don't know what it was just an impression like I said I didn't really right. know and so when she said women I was just like oh look I don't 
I don't do stuff like that. Like, look, especially the older women, I just felt like, no, they're going to be trying to tell you, like, your outfit isn't this, you're, you you know, you're doing this, or you haven't greeted me well, you haven't knelt down, you haven't, you know, whatever. I just wanted to keep to myself. But she was like, no, come, you make it, like, you'd like it. So I finally showed up. I was sitting next to a lady. I didn't know her. I'd, um, I was just sitting there and they were talking about all these things. And you have to understand in my mind, I'm just this new person into this new environment. I found everything they said to be funny. So it was context because for me, I'm just thinking these conversations are so like just, but once again, the conversations was what was relevant to the country. So I felt like there was that disconnect of where I'm coming from a country that doesn't have these issues that they were talking talking about NYSC. I was thinking to myself, like, well, why do you have to do NYSC? Like, why are you sending your kids if they're dying? You know, this different conversation. So I would make like funny comments just in relation to what was being said. And the person next to me would laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. I never met, I didn't even know who she was. And I just, you know, make a funny comment or quip, you know, after someone would say something. So at the end of it, she asked me, she was just like, you're so funny. You know, what do you even do? And I told her, oh, I do yogurt and blah, blah, blah. She was like, really? And I showed her the flyer, the ridiculous flyer that I'd made. <laughs> and she says, oh, um, come, I have a few people to introduce you to. So she's taking me around all these people. Hey, this is this person. She introduced me to Uche Pedro Bellanaita. She introduced me to um, this lady who was like a big person in catering. She introduced me to a few event planners as well. Funke Bokno, she introduced me to Funke Bokno. I was so overwhelmed. And then I later found out that person was Tara Grotoye of um, House of Tara. It was very funny yeah. <laughs> how these things but for me I was so clueless because I knew nobody and I was horrible like I was just not even I didn't know there's no context or anything but after that we became friends and she would kind of she even gave me one of my first like corporate jobs for Sweet Kiwi after that that meeting um right. so yeah we just started you know I started building you know you you go to an event you meet a few people and we started doing just catering jobs and just starting to grow and, you know, and then we started getting noticed by more people, um, more corporates. We started doing more corporates, more corporate jobs as well. Um, right. And th- that's how suddenly people started talking about us. Oh, do you know Sweet Kiwi? And then LPM decided to do a place called Les Pass, where it was supposed to be kind of like a, I would say like more like a Macy's where all these different brands have their little different spaces within a big space. And so we decided mm. to get a little space in there. It was in Victoria Island and we got a space there. So it was really nice because I felt like the people who were the young, um, the young fun people in Nigeria liked the brand and they would go there or they liked Les Pass. So we're getting a lot of attention from because we were in Les Pass as well. So they were also very intricate in helping us build the brand because we were in a circle that was really popular in Lagos. So it helped us get the word out and we started getting more catering jobs from that as well. And we started just being more noticeable. We started building the brand name through that. And I remember finally we got a location in Victoria Island and the guy had said a million, three years. And I didn't even know where I was going to get the money um, at that time. But I think I'd called an uncle of mine that I haven't spoken to in like years. And I, he finally gave me the money and I was so happy. I never forget. It was like my birthday. I was all dressed up just thinking like, finally, I get to have my own space, do it well. I hadn't even gotten to the tour 
when I got a call from his attorney saying that someone else had made a bid with the higher amount, they were ready to pay 10 million for five years. And if I couldn't match it, you know, I should come back and pick up my checks. I would never forget that day because I picked up the checks and I was just, I was crying the whole day. I was just like, could not believe, like completely just heartbroken. I just, I was, and then I think my mom would always say, oh, it's not for you. And I was just like, what does that mean? <laughs> I put so much into this because I had even like started talking to architects. We talked about the design. So that was a really heartbreaking moment for me in the journey. I think I took some time. I went back to America for a while. Hmm. I, I was just like, I, I like this. I, I don't know how to deal with this country and how things work. Um, I, I just took a little break. Um, I still had a team who was doing, who were doing the catering, but at that time I didn't know that I wanted to continue because I felt like the dream of having an actual location was gone. And when I finally came back, but even when I was in America, I was missing, missing the business. I would, I'd feel like. Like I call my staff every day. I say, so what happened today? So what happened today? So what happened? You know. And then finally, I came back. But I think I came back with a defeated mindset, where I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to do catering continuously, and I'm not going to try to, you know, be bigger than what we are. And randomly, someone reached out to me about a space and in a mall inside one of those malls where there are like all these little shops. I was so tired. I just wanted a space. So I just said, you know what, I'm going to take the space. And I, I told my dad like, Hey, do you want to come see the space? I'm going to take it. It's cheap. It's just 3 million a year. They're not asking for that many years. I can do that. Right. He comes to see the space and he's just like, can I talk to you? He's just like, Oh, I just feel like this wasn't what you told me when you first came, you, you painted this dream that I fell in love with. And I'm just trying to, tell you that this is not what you want but I feel like you allowed that what's happening on the outside get inside and now you're not seeing your own vision and that was so important the reason I'm bringing it up is because I feel like you should always tell people that dream because they're the ones who they're people who are going to hold you accountable for it you know down the road because things are never easy and life can beat you down so badly where you you don't even know the dream is just so diluted that you're just ready to take whatever is being thrown at you. You know, when we had that talk, I just remember being encouraged and turning it down and saying, you know what, honestly, it's not for me. It wasn't what I envisioned. And luckily, I still remember my mom saying, oh, well, I passed by this place and, you know, it was there and I think it's good for you. And she was like, but the only thing was that it wasn't for rent, it was for sale. Like okay, mm. mommy, I don't want to see. I already told her that I'm not seeing any more prophecies. I've not. I can't go through all of that anymore. But she, but she went ahead and spoke to the landlord, and you know, finally, she was just like, the landlord wants us to come by and see him. You know, I'm like, but this guy doesn't want to rent. He wants to sell. Like, so why are we, you know, prepping ourselves for another heartbreak because we can't buy. We don't have the money. But I remember she was just like, you know what, let's just go. I have a, a feeling about it. Let's go. So we went there. We talked to the landlord. He asked me what I wanted to do. We talked to him. And, you know, he says that, okay, you know, if you can pay just us literally a small amount, I'll give you the keys. You can start working. And I'll give you time to apply for a loan and you can pay in installments. Wow. I was just, I laughed because I was just like, this guy's a scammer. There's no way. <laughs> wants to take the little money that I have and then now start telling me stories I just eat like because it's impossible you just don't think that anyone in Nigeria would do that 
Right. And I was just so skeptical. I was telling my mom, I don't like, we shouldn't do this, you know, but honestly, through to his word, I was like, look, we have to sign contracts. We have all these things. And he did, he was, he did. And I was really surprised when he handed us the keys and handed us all the, the documents. I was just like, wait, what, what's going on? And just like that, we had a location and it turned out the location was on Admiralty way, which was, <laughs> you know, so we kept just doing the instrumental payments. He was so patient. He was so different from any landlord I'd ever met because they're all sharks. Um, and then finally, we were able to get support. With my parents, were able to help um, support us with like getting a loan to keep up with the rest of the payments. Um, and finally, we were able to do our space and open up what turned out to be our flagship store. Um, yeah and it was just random and I feel like sometimes you just have to hang in there and just know that there's already a path and sometimes you have to go through the valleys you know before you can get to the mountain tops that's such an that's such an amazing story and so again just to give it context this is this is now in 2014 if I understand correctly so 2011 you came back and this this whole thing played out and you didn't actually get to your first location till 2014. And I understand that part of your business plan initially was to have multiple locations. Yes. And and that's 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 another interesting experience that you had there. Yeah. So as soon as we did the Lecky store, it was really like things just exploded. Like literally day one a few people came by, they too, a few people came by, by the weekend, we were like, we're sold out everything that we're planned for a month. Uh, like we, you do a plan, like, okay, this is the store. Let's say you even imagine you're going to be doing sales of $5 and you budgeted that, okay, all these products are going to last you a month. And literally they were done in a week. Wow. And we were just like, wait, what is going on? Like, how did all, like, where did all these people come from? And then we realized that it was from, all the work we've done through the three years, going to all the catering jobs, and people already really, really knew the brand. So right. by the time we opened, they were just excited. Out, oh, what? Sweetie, we had a location. And I was just so overwhelmed. Like the day we did the launch, i never forget. I was so stressed. So I was I was having an out-of-body experience because I'd been working like maybe three, four weeks without any sleep, just trying to get the place open. A few people came, and I remember seeing someone off outside for the first time just to see them off to their car. And I remember looking outside and the cars were all the way, almost to the Admiralty gates. And I was just like, what is happening? Like, I didn't even know I knew this many people. And I remember my dad saying the same thing. Like, all my friends said that, where does your daughter know all these people from? And I think that was a good, it was such a great validation for us. And I feel like that work that you put in it in the beginning, it's never lost. It's never, you know, it pays off in the end. Because when we did have a location, people showed up. And, you know, it really built us into an even stronger brand. So I think we then decided that, okay, well, we're doing so well. Why don't we open another location just so that, you know, we can start to grow very quickly. So we decided to open a location in the Palms and then in the in Victoria Island as well. But the thing with that was that what we, the only thing we ended up doing was cannibalizing our own customers that was already coming mm. to phase one. Because then what I realized or what I've learned now is that in Nigeria, there's very few people with, with disposable income. So once again, understanding the market that you're operating in, it's not a U.S. where you can be in Virginia and have like five locations or 10 locations because Virginia is that big. And yeah. not only is it 
it, it's not even about size. It's just that everyone around the block earns enough money where buying a little treat is not a big deal. It's something that they don't even give an afterthought to. But in Nigeria, outside of certain locations, hmm. um, people don't people think that they can't afford certain products or it's not a necessity. And once your product is not a need, you know, it's very hard for you to be investing in full-on stores that you kind of multiply. And so I started to learn. And that's a hard thing about business. You have to keep learning. You have to keep adapting. And the best lessons are the ones that you make so you understand it. You mm. understand how to avoid such pitfalls in the future. So we opened the palms. I mean, the palms did well, but not well enough for what we were paying in rent because the rent was really, really expensive. And VI as well, it was really expensive, but we didn't have, We all we realized was that the customers that were already coming to Lekki Store because the same customers on the island are the same people. The same customers that will come from Victoria Island or that will come from Ikoi were now split and going to other locations. So now we've made even more investment, but income was being reduced because it was the same customers. We hadn't widened our customer base. Right, right. Interesting. So I'm just wondering, what's the, what's the idea behind the name Sweet Kiwi? So Sweet Kiwi is supposed to, it's, it's mostly kiwis are sour, right? So a sweet right. kiwi is something that is very unforgettable because it's different you don't come across they're very rare it's very different and one of the reasons why we called it a sweet kiwi i called it sweet kiwi was because number one it was one of my favorite songs from revive and when i understood what it meant um i felt like this was the perfect name because um we were the only ones that was doing the clean label frozen yogurt if you look at the labels of a lot of the frozen yogurt companies, even the top ones, you realize that there were a lot of things. It wasn't really that, it was different from ice cream because a lot of people, it was yogurt, but still the sugar content was so high. Um, a lot of things that went into the product shouldn't have been there. Hmm. So from the jump, that focus on having a healthy product was what I thought made us really different and hmm. very, very unique. And I, and I just thought that this name perfectly you know, covered everything that we were trying to say that we were. So how did you, how did you source your, your ingredients in Nigeria? Hmm, that was, it was very, it was quite difficult. We did a lot of importing at the time because it was very hard right. to find local suppliers. But finally we met, we found a guy who was, would make the yogurt for us. Okay. Um, so he was kind of like a, a, a co-packer in a way. He would not make the frozen yogurt, but he would make the cultured yogurt. Okay. And one of the things I love about him, and I'm very happy to say, because I had this impression that Nigerians were not reliable. They, you couldn't, if they said they were coming on Monday, expect them in two weeks, basically. But he really surprised me because we worked with him since 2011 when we opened, and we still work with him today. And he's never late. He's never even an hour. If he says it's coming on Monday, he comes on Monday. And we've worked with him. We've grown with him. Um, as our demand grew, his demand grew as well because he continued to produce for us. And I would never forget in 2015 when he finally decided to open a bank account, we gave him his reference. <laughs> and that really made that really made me happy to see them grow. The, the truth is that there are opportunities, but we as well need to ask ourselves the value that we're bringing, how we're running our businesses, because that's what's going to determine how valuable you are to a customer. So if I had an option between some fancy schmancy company that was going to do this for us 
and him. I would choose him because I know he's reliable. Right, right. I heard that your business um, experienced some slight pivot, um, to put it mildly. <laughs> um, and um, you're here in the US. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. So, so how did you, how did you come about setting up Sweet Kiwi in the US? Um, Sweet Kiwi in the US was, I would also want, to, one of the things I would like to reiterate is that I feel like I'm a, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, and I really believe in that when God puts a dream in your heart, he has a plan for you. Sometimes when you're not in tune with that, you don't know where God is taking you. So things start to happen and you're wondering and you're like, oh, why is all these things happening? I don't understand it. I feel like sometimes if you really go back to the source, you find out that there's a greater plan for everything that's happening. And I've always felt that with Sweet Kiwi, everything was just God-given because I've had a path that a lot of people don't have or haven't found as easy. Mm. I've you know, been at places and come out with things that people don't come out with. You know, I really didn't expect to survive Nigeria because I, I promise you, everyone who ever went to uni with me, the first message they sent to me is that I don't understand. How did you survive Nigeria? You, like I'm the, like I'm just the most, I was the chillest person in school. I wasn't aggressive. I wasn't, um, I wasn't anything that you would think would survive. That was, I was a hard worker. Let's not get that right because I think that goes into what translates into being a successful business person. You have to be a hard worker. You have to be able to put in the work. So some of the foundations were already there, but that staying power, just stay, sticking it through a lot of the ups and the downs, I think. So with the U.S. company, at the time, I'd been suffering a lot of health issues and I'd gone through a health issue. Actually, I, I'd gone through a miscarriage, which was really bad in Nigeria. And it was because the doctor that was treating me um, handled the issue badly. I'm all negative and he didn't talk to me about the all recess negative situation and it turned out to be a really bad experience where by the time um, we figured out what was going on it was really bad and I had to be in the U.S. a lot for medical care and just you know wasn't also in a good place mentally. Mm. Um, it was really hard to run my business so um, I was just not in a good place. It was just like a really um, devastating loss for me. And this goes back to entrepreneurs realizing that you're also human. There's the also the other s parts that nobody sees. Sometimes it's always just business, 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 and no one knows what you're going through, you know, on the home front or personally. And I feel like this, a lot of people don't talk about mental health. Right. With entrepreneurship which is a big deal because I feel like you're constantly under stress you're constantly dealing with anxiety because you're working on something you don't know if it's going to happen you know you're constantly dealing with all these things so for me I felt like after that happened to me I literally had a break where I just was in America I wasn't doing anything I was I would just wake up and watch Game of Thrones all day I didn't want to run my business I really didn't want to, I didn't have a choice. They would bug me about little things. I would respond on WhatsApp, but I mentally wasn't there. I wasn't there. And I just had signed out somehow. And I didn't even realize it. I just checked out. Hmm. And I really didn't feel like talking to people a lot. I was very isolated. I isolated myself. And I was in Dallas. And I remember a lot of my friends that I worked with in city, 
they were just really concerned. They were just like, you know, you don't come out of the house. You don't talk to anyone, you know. So at this time, I ended up, my friend was a manager at JP Morgan. Hmm. And so she was just like, no, I want you to apply for this job. They're hiring my department. I feel like it'd be good for you to have somewhere to go every day. And just, you know, she just felt like I was going through a depression. I didn't agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so that's how I ended up working for JP Morgan oh, in wow. 2016. Um, yeah, it was, I, I, people don't know this. I think this is the first time I've ever said yeah, that. I, I don't even recall <laughs> that anywhere. <laughs> no, I have not talked about this, but I decided to talk about it because it's, these are real things that happen to real people. Yeah. I, no one understood it. My dad thought I was just, he didn't get it. He's just like, do you realize that your earning salary that you could pay yourself, you have a business that's doing this revenues in Nigeria, even more than this, but you're in America doing what like I don't understand I didn't understand it either but I felt like every day I felt a bit better because I was now forced to do something Hmm. so I had to go to work every morning I had to be there to a certain time so whether I liked it or not I had to interact with people I had to someone had to come ask me about something I was working on and it was really difficult but I just saw myself being more just say happy every day or just mm-hmm. you know coming out of myself and just also being around my old friends um just them saying oh let's go to lunch and just seeing them every day I felt like it took me out of the space I was in and I remember seven months down the line I woke up and I was thinking what are you doing here <laughs> you know seriously I was just like what are you doing here like what is going on no I'm seriously and and that's why I keep talking to people about mental health because you can't like it's I can't explain it I can't tell you what I was doing there but I was serious about it I was waking up every morning driving to work coming back home seven months and my business was just like my mom was helping with my business my dad was helping my business because I really was just disconnected from it and I finally woke up one, one day and I was just like but what am I doing here what am I really doing here? I have a whole business and I put in my resignation and that was it. I was back into being the CEO of Sweet Kiwi again and just kind of trying to figure out where to go from there with the business. So we ended up moving out to the DC area, mm-hmm. um, me and my family, and just being here, I'd gone into, a, I, w- I was testing out a new recipe and I'd gone into a store in Georgetown because I noticed that they were opening a yoga shop and I was going to ask the guy and just say to him, oh, hey, can I come test out my recipe, my new recipe here and use one of your machines? But he's like, I know you. And I was just thinking, okay, you can't know me because, mm-hmm. you know, it's not possible. And then he's like, oh, I know you. And then he proceeds to tell me how, you know, he had looked up a few yoga shops and he read a few articles about me. I was just like, oh, wow, that's pretty interesting. And he asked me to work with him on starting the yoga shop. So we started a yoga shop called Asai Berry in Georgetown on M Street and you know that really excited me and I realized how much I'd missed my own business Aww. because I was so into it. I was so into like putting everything together. And that was really great. I felt like it really woke me up. And after I'd put that in place, I went back to Nigeria and kept working on just like getting Sweet Kiwi back to where I needed to be, just working on the plans that I had for the brand. And somehow when I was about to, when I came back to the US, I just thought, you know what, I can start doing some catering events here now that I split my time between the two countries and 
when I was looking for a space where we could start doing a few catering events from, right. I found a space called, um, a shared kitchen called Union Kitchen. And after they tasted our products, they loved it and they asked us if we could apply for the accelerator program hmm. um, to create a CPG product. What's CPG? So that's consumer packaged goods. So it's a, something that you can package and put in a, a grocery store, basically. So we applied for the accelerator. We did all the interviews um, and they informed us that we're, we were accepted into the accelerator. So we started the accelerator. We're supposed, oh, so this is another thing. So <laughs> I had just I come back from Nigeria. We were, I was here and we're pregnant again. I was pregnant again. And then just before the accelerator was about to start, it was starting in September, I literally, I lost the baby again. Oh dear. And I remember there was a deadline to sign the acceptance for the accelerator. You couldn't sign it online. You had to sign it in person. And I remember still being in the hospital and I had to leave just to go sign the documents. These are the things that you go through as an entrepreneur because we had a deadline. And if we missed the deadline, we couldn't be a part of the accelerator. So I remember with all the plasters on my hand and the doctor just kind of patching me up. I, I took an Uber and I went there and I signed it and just yeah. tried to keep it moving. And, you know, yeah. but this time I was determined not to fall into a rabbit hole. Right. Um, <laughs> I was just determined to keep my head above water. So I started the accelerator in September and you know i kept working on refining the product but one of the things i insisted on doing was going to nigeria for the rest of the year because i felt like nigeria was a place where we were so busy that it didn't give me the chance to fall down a rabbit hole um and i remember taking all the everything i felt just the angst and putting it into work and especially because december is a big time for us in terms of catering right. i just put all the energy into that and we had the best December we've ever had I think we did all every single event that wow. was living in town yeah because I refused to let myself process anything else but work you know and it was really I, I wouldn't say it was the best hmm. it, it's the best approach but it was certainly the it was good for the company but good for me as a person I wouldn't say but then I came back in February and the product was ready to go we're ready to launch um, just because of the seasons, it was a cold season and it's better to launch just before spring. So we'd agreed to launch it at the end of February, which we did. So we launched the products. We were in three grocery stores that uh, Union Kitchen had. That's we February of this year. February of 2019. February of 2019. So we're in three grocery stores. We launched in three grocery stores, the Union Kitchen grocery stores. And then every day we kept pitching to new stores and getting into new stores. Um, and we're just kind of going to all the local grocery stores in the D.C. area and pitching to the buyers and getting into those stores. And that's how we started growing. We initially pitched to the Whole Foods team in February. Um, they had a lot of concerns with the packaging um, and they talked to us about what they had concerns with. Um, well, I still hope that we would get in, but I didn't I didn't hear back from them. So I tried to reach out to the person and say, hey, you know, I'm just following up and you know, she was really nice. They were really kind. And she just kind of talked me through what they had concerns with. And I decided to go back to work, working on the things they had issues with. And I remember going to all the different stores to also pitch to the actual buyers within the store and just trying to get a, um, get like a, um, whatchamacallit, I'm sorry. <laughs> just get some type of approval from them because that also goes a long way, get an endorsement from them as right. well. And that actually helped us go a long way 
um, with when we went back to pitch to to the team and knowing that we had all these endorsements from a lot of the local stores saying that they had they were willing to create space for us um, that made such a difference for us as well and forward fast forward to December 2019 we pitched again to the team and and then by January 2nd or 3rd we received a notification saying that we were in and that was just the most amazing email (laughs) that I've gotten this year (laughs) wow wow that is just amazing and then I've I've noticed as well that you've received a lot of grants and awards so just talk to us a little about access to finance and your experience. I mean, you, you've gone from setting up a business in Nigeria to now, you know, setting up a business in the U.S. And, and uh, if you can just talk to us a little about your experience with accessing finance and what you feel can be done differently on the continent, you know, based on what you've experienced here. I think that with access to finance, being a woman and also being like an African entrepreneur, there's always a lot of negativity attached to taking money from someone else to do your business just because of experiences that people have had in the past where in Nigeria, contracts are not enforceable. There's a lot of gaps in our legal system that makes it really difficult um, for you to, you know, want to do business with someone else or have a partner. There's all these complaints. And, and what I've also noticed is that there's not a lot of education as well. Mm-hmm. I feel like in the start of my journey, if I'd had enough education from the time that we were able to launch our first flagship store, or we were even able to show enough traction and show enough revenues, even from catering. At that point in any normal country, we should have been had access to better finance, right. um, better funding, better investors. But there's not enough education telling you at this point in time, you need to start fundraising because fundraising takes years. And by the time you need the money, you're not going to get it because you didn't start early. You can't start fundraising when you need the money, right. you know, because people need to be familiar with your business. And that's one of the things that I've learned. Start early, start from day one, just meeting people, understanding what they're looking for. It takes a long time for you to even meet an investor that you have, a, you have um, you kind of feel is on the same wavelength as you. You're going to meet a lot of investors, but not everyone has the same passion or drive or understands your vision. So it's kind of like dating, mm. you know, you're dating different guys and then it takes you a while to find the one. That's why it's such a big deal. That's why you have a wedding because it's a big deal mm. to find someone that you gel with. Same thing when you're courting investors, you need to find someone who understands what you're trying to achieve and is there with you and understands because there's always going to be that gap between passion and finances and making sure so you need someone who understands so that you guys can have a seamless relationship and and unfortunately I think that one of the things that needs to be done in Nigeria is creating more opportunities for women to access financing and not only that I feel like we need to revisit a lot of the ways that funds are dispersed especially federal government grants Hmm. one of the things I found out is that you know, a lot of international businesses get government grants that they shouldn't have access to. Mm. A lot of international businesses get access to BOI funds, Bank of Industry funds that should really be for local Nigerian industry 
um, in, people who are creating industry in Nigeria. And a lot of these local businesses don't even have access to that money. Right. You know, we need to have a clear pathway. There's so much, so much money coming into Nigeria. The IFC, the World Bank has so many programs, but how do you access it? Especially when they go through all these other development banks and then you go to the development bank to access money and they give you this difficult requirements and no one who actually needs the money gets the money. Mm-hmm. Everything is all, you know, covered in, in in secrecy and you know you never know who gets the money and and there are no case studies as to who has used the money like who's a normal person that just woke up and started a business and has access boy funds and been able to grow their business to where they're really successful and they're really stable right you know there needs to be some shame about that like we need to start supporting our own homegrown brands and businesses to be able to grow so in contrast open up in the US, we've had access to so much funding, like so much, not just funding, but education right. as well. The local DC programs that we've done where we were giving funding to even help build our credit. As you use the money and you pay back, your credit is building, you know, they 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 test you with $2,000 and they test you with more. I remember trying to buy machinery. When we had to buy a machinery in Nigeria, we had to save for it because you had to pay everything cash down buy machinery here, we're able to get a loan to buy the machine and pay maybe $100 every month, you know, till we can pay it off. So ease of doing business is at a thousand percent, you know, and even in the midst of COVID, whereas Nigeria had a COVID relief package, which very little entrepreneurs have even been able to access. And even the ones who have gotten the funds got only 10% of what was promised. You know, whereas in the US, there's, there was a PPP, PPE money where you could basically, um, support your staff and ensure that they were getting paid regardless. The loans from small business, um, um, the SBA, there there were also a lot of grants. And I'd taken a, a advantage of those grants. One of the things I've learned to do is that if they're able to tell a really solid story where they can see the impact that you're making in your community, right. able to win a grant and get the support. So Visa supported us with $10,000. The Sarah Blakely um, Spanx Foundation supported us with another $5,000. We did a pitch with the Black Girls um, Ventures and we won another $10,000 in addition to the money that we raised on the platform. So altogether it came to about $12,000. And we raised a total of over $27,000 at this time. And we still have other grants that we're still in contending for. So, and I'm very positive at the end of this grant season, we probably would have raised almost $50,000, you excellent. know? And so I, I think that there's so many ways and there's so many opportunities in Nigeria. No one's giving our grants, no one's supporting the small businesses, even the, the big companies who you do business with don't support the big, the, the small guys. They're willing to take your money. They're willing to have you bank with them. But what support do they actually provide to entrepreneurs in times of need like this? Most entrepreneurs have experienced business closures over three to four months. Mm-hmm. How are you supporting the entrepreneurs to ensure that they can recover mm-hmm. and they can bounce back? Because a lot of the grants that we received have really helped us to scale. We're able to introduce new products um, to help our business um, survive past COVID. So we're introducing a new granola um, product because granola is something that we've always made, even in Nigeria. It's a topping that we've always used in our stores. Right. And we have a unique way we make our granola. And we're now launching a granola product next month. Okay. We're launching our popsicles sometime in February next year. And that's what we've been able to use the grant money for. And so now we're not in a rush to look for investors or to get into bed with the wrong investors. Right because we've had other streams and other sources of income. 
So I was going to ask, you know, how is it possible for you to continue to run the business in Nigeria and and, and um, build this brand here in the U.S.? I would say it comes down to structures, just being able to create structures that can stand the test. It hasn't always been perfect, but it's always a continuous work. So you start to see me being aware, being able to see what's working with the structure, what's not working, what needs to change, you know, what can we fix? And it's been good. I think just the U.S. market where things work, things work on time. If my distributor says they're coming to pick up on tomorrow, I don't need to be there. I just need to have the pallet waiting in the freezer. They pick up. There's never any issues. This has been going on for a whole year. And my team knows when production is, you know, things are better structured where you have more of your time as an entrepreneur compared to the Nigeria market. And I think that just building out that structure where, um, my team knows that this is what those policies, this is what drives the business, this is what you're meant to do. I think technology has helped a lot. We have WhatsApp groups. I see what the store looks like every day before they open. I see what the, I'm involved in everything. I, I doubt there's anything that you'll tell me that's going on in Lagos that I'm not really aware of. Um, I'm right. always up to date on those things. But I think putting in those structures and understanding that you have to keep tweaking and you have to keep working. The truth is that as an entrepreneur, if you're not able to stay, be away from your business without a fund, then you don't have a business. Because the right. truth is, when something happens to you, can your business stand the test of time? So if you right. weren't available today or something happened to you, knock on wood. But if if it did happen, what happens to your business? There's so many entrepreneurs that have gone through this. They tell you, oh, the owner died and then the business packed up. Can your business run without you? It's the biggest test of any structure, of anything that has been built. And that's what I would say. And so we have manuals for running everything at SweetKiwi. Everything, how to open the door, how to serve a customer, how to speak, how to open the gates. You open it from left to right. You have to be that detailed because someone else is going to come into the business. Imagine you weren't there and someone comes into the business. Can they successfully run the business with these manuals? Those are the things you need to be testing and you need to keep tweaking and you need to keep working on because you can't always, if you're looking at, except you're trying to build a mom and pop shop, but if you're trying to build a multi-million dollar business, you can't be the only person that runs it. It can't depend solely on you. It's impossible. That's fantastic. So, so what have you, what have you learned from this experience? I've learned, um, it's a lot of things. Um, I would say the first thing I've learned is the God factor. I would say that committing everything that you do into the hands of the Lord makes such a difference because he would direct, he does direct your path. He does speak to you. He does tell you what's right. And, you know, this is the visions I've had for you. This is the path that has been a big thing for me. I felt like I've never, I've not always done that. I've always kind of, I'm a Christian, but you know, it's busy. I wake up in the morning. Oh, I have to get to the store not praying, not speaking to God, we're signing contracts, we're not speaking to God, we're doing all these things. I felt like that that path is so so important because as soon as I started doing that, I've seen like a massive transformation in my business and just like dedicating things to God. And even in the process of fundraising, just like moving you away from the wrong Mm. investors as well and directing you to people who are aligned with Mm. your purpose has made a difference. I think also being able to tell an authentic story and have an impact on your community and understanding how you know your your blessings are because you're right. meant to bless other people. So you can't have a business that's just for making money. Your business has to have a wider impact on not just you, but you have to have 
a community as the center of everything that you're doing, how does your business impact your community? How does it impact people? How does it change people's lives? How are we making a difference? And that's one of the things that I'd be very passionate about. I talked to you about what my passions are from the beginning. So speaking in Nigeria, one of the things that we've always tried to do was help people. We always fundraise within the store. We, I remember when we were celebrating our fifth anniversary, we bought over 50 canes for people um, who were blind and needed white canes because that's a big deal where people cannot get white canes. And we did that with uh, Nikki Laoye, who is a spokesperson for that. Um, we always try to find ways where we can support women and children. At Sweekiwi in Nigeria, we hire over 70% women. And we train, we develop. Um, my current um, operations manager started as the inventory person. She's done so much training and has grown to the position of operation managers. We believe in women and we think that, you know, when you invest in women, you're investing in more than just that woman. You're investing in the whole community in comparison to when you're investing in a man. A woman is more family-centered and so it goes beyond that woman. And we're really excited about how as our businesses are growing how we continue to support the women in our community we're very passionate about training women um i've been passionate about a program for widows widowed women to support them with training learning a skill helping them start their own businesses and creating an avenue where they can sell those products to raise money for their family not only that not everybody can be an entrepreneur and i understand that and i feel like we need to create more jobs that these women can do and so we're working on backward integration and creating our factory in Nigeria so that we can create, we're becoming a full-on creamery where we're going to be creating, you know, dairy consumer packaged good products. And one of the things I'm excited about for this factory is to grow into a place where we hire 100% women working in the factory and supporting women who are most vulnerable, who are most at need, the ones who have children. And I think in the long term, we're looking at how we can educate their children and you know, start to turn things around for these families. So going beyond just being a successful business and, and a profit-making business, but reinvesting into our communities and making you know, the, the environment a better mm. place for the people that are living it and giving back what has been given to us and sowing that seed into our communities. I think that has been the biggest awakening for me, my journey to understand that I wasn't just put here just to sell frozen yogurt because that, that that goes beyond that, but to impact people's lives and to make that difference. Wow, this has been an excellent conversation. I normally end by asking what's next for you and it um, feels like you've described some of that unless you have anything else to add. I think, yeah, that's 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 what's next. Just continue to grow. I think what we want to do next is to show that Sweetie goes beyond the, just a company that's making yogurt or making products. We want to be heavily involved in turning around the experience of women across the world. I feel Nigerian women are abused every day. They're not giving opportunities. We want to give put more women in more positions of power and change our communities, change our environments. And, you know, we want to grow. We want to be that Nigerian brand who's been the first to cross over from Africa into international markets. So we're looking at the Europe awesome. market next and looking to grow into the UK market first. And I'm really excited because for me, the UK is like my second home. I can't wait. Like I, my history in the UK, like I, I, I started working when I was really young. My first job was at Harrods. Um, I, and I ended up, by the time I left the UK, I was working at Amnesty International and also at Asda. 
So I'm so excited. I'm like the, the day that my products are on the shelf at Asda is going to be the happiest day because I remember how many times I stocked the shelves, how many times I checked people out on the checkouts and I can't wait. Like I'm so excited about things like that. It's going to be a full circle journey for me. That's awesome. Wish you all the best, Ahima. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Otego. That was Ahime Ewe Akindele, founder and CEO Sweet Kiwi. Her story is a testament to the fact that our brands can travel. Made in Africa for the world. Representation matters, and so we continue to celebrate women like Ahime, who are blazing the trail and showing what's possible. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or on Apple Podcasts. It will help us greatly. I'm Akego Koye, and you have been listening to African Business Stories.